Hello, listeners, and welcome to Balcony Talks. I am Erica Bennett, a current grad student in the Religion and Culture Master's Program at the University of Alabama. Here at UA, we often find ourselves in great discussion on our building's balconies. We wanted to bring those conversations to the public, but found it difficult to catch all of the interesting conversations and record them candidly. So instead, we offered this podcast, Balcony Talks, where we discuss topics that may be heard in passing, but we brought them to this podcast space. Today, I am joined by Sierra Eichhorst, a fellow grad student. Hey, Erica. So I was just scrolling through TikTok the other day, and this video showed up on my feed that I didn't totally understand that I thought you would maybe be able to help me understand. So it was a video of a woman who was explaining that she was a radical traditionalist Catholic and she used the hashtag RadTrad. And she was talking about wearing a veil to mass and how it signified her religiosity. But I'm confused because I grew up Catholic and I have never seen anyone veil at mass. So I was just wondering, like, what is this? What is RadTrad? Do you know what's going on? Yeah, no, that makes sense. I recently saw Caitlin Bennett, the girl famous for her different videos on different campuses. She's like the gun girl or whatever. But I saw her post a photo on Twitter the other day that she was going to Sunday Mass and she was wearing a veil. Um, I'm not sure exactly what is going on, but I think I know who we should talk to. Uh, Dr. Lauren Griffin. She is studying exactly this the online rad trad culture, along with her other research interests. Dr. Lauren just accepted a position as an incoming religion and politics professor in the philosophy and religion department at Louisiana State University. So I bet she'll have some good answers for us. Can you explain the hashtag, hashtag rad trad, and what groups are using it? And what's like the significance behind this hashtag? Yeah, RadTrad is the social media term for radical traditionalist Catholic. The easy answer is that traditionalists or radical traditionalists are Catholics who like prefer traditions, liturgical forms, and like presentations of Catholic social teaching from before Vatican II or the Second Vatican Council beginning in 1962. So before that council, which is just like a meeting of bishops, the mass was said in Latin and priests faced away from the congregation and women had to cover their heads in mass. So there are Catholics who want Catholicism to look more like this and who like still attend Latin mass. And we're seeing on social media, right, who still wear the veil, um, both to Latin mass and to Novus Ordo mass, which is what we call the ordinary form of mass or the majority of masses said today. Um, but radical traditionalists also have, not all traditionalists are Latin mass goers, but there's a history of, of anti-Semitism. Uh, for example, the Southern Poverty Law Center has a list of radical traditionalist hate groups. Uh, but there's also been a recent rise of like leftists and liberation theology types who are gravitating toward traditional mass and piety as like their own way of re rebelling against neoliberalism and capitalism and modernity. So there's a lot going on there in terms of religious identity and politics and gender and conceptions of ethnicity and race and nationalism and immigration and more. It's a lot going on. Um, 
Now, the hashtag itself is interesting because it's sort of a fun meme word, right? Like rad trad. And the internet has sort of run with it. So well, maybe 30 years ago, I'm not sure how many people would have self-identified as a radical traditionalist Catholic. Um, the term rad trad wasn't a thing yet. Uh, the earliest I found it is about 2012 um, on Twitter. But now it's widespread. So rather than it being a specific group of people that we can point to, this is a really great example of how our conception of a, like a coherent rad trad group is really created by us using the term. So like popular stereotypes, media images, and like our academic work, right? It's an invented, it's invented in talking about it. Um, uh, you know, of course, a particular Catholic's adherence to tradition, however conceived, like veiling is happening. Um, but this idea of a singular rad trad identity or group really is like, as Jay-Z Smith would say, a creation of our own study. Uh, a lot of the conversation online revolves around exactly who counts as trad or rad trad like how seriously does one have to center land mass to be rad do you have to veil etc so conversations around veiling in particular um as a really interesting spot to look at how trad culture is actually brought like into existence and managed yeah so i what i'm getting from this is that Rad trad is just kind of like this overall internet idea, right? It's this lots of different traditional groups are using rad trad. Is it mostly Catholicism or do you see a lot of Protestant or is it kind of leaning towards radical traditionalism in Catholicism related to pre-Vatican II times? I think that this idea of going back, right? We can think yeah. about like origins narratives and like we, we see it in a lot of different tradition, right? The resurgence of house churches that was really popular in Protestant communities a few few years back or, yeah. um, and there are definitely trad groups um, in Anglicanism and Orthodox communities for sure. Um, yeah. There was an article in the New York Times called Christianity Gets Weird because on Twitter sometimes they call it weird Christianity yeah. or weird Catholicism, mm -hmm. um, which it also refers to that sort of idea the idea of tradition right then that we're bringing something back we're making it great again yeah for sure and i think that's definitely i think that's interesting in the resurgence that we've seen in this hashtag rad trad recently especially after the trump administration having that be the whole slogan for a really long time right bringing this like this created past in our head and be like let's bring it back and it's like well we can see with radical traditionalism this like hashtag rad trad that that might not be the case. There's not this perfectly pristine tradition in the past that was awesome that we need to like pick up and move. We're almost like creating this idea of yeah. tradition and then like fakely picking it up and moving it. Yeah, right. And that's what's so interesting about our job, right, is that we can look at communities we call religious and communities we call political or wherever and just say, hey, how are narratives of the past working? Um, how are these actually acts of identification for the here and now, right, and not so much a record of the then? Yeah, I think that, yeah, the record of the then. That's, I love that. Um, okay, so you talked about it a little bit a minute ago, but when did we see this radical traditionalism really get a foothold in social media. You said the hashtag was like 2012, we start seeing it. But when do you think the like popularity of it really like sprung off? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think as far as the, this being formed in 
around sort of these terms, these very online terms, right? So I'll see um, the term trad or rad trad used in, um, in conversation with other very online identities. There's a quote from a Twitter user who was like, why is my TL filled with um, like K-poppers, cinephiles, trads, you know, Catholics, MGTOWs, incels, right? These are all very online identities. Um, so uh, performing this online has gotten wrapped up in all, the, it's related, right, to all those other culture, e-girls and yeah. trad wives, right? Things like yeah. that. Yeah. Okay, so what I don't quite understand is what, is the radical part and rad trad because the words radical and traditional seem kind of paradoxical so how do those work together how can you be both yeah i had a similar question while talking to her they're kind of like this conservative idea and this liberal idea kind of meshed into one um, but we did luckily touch on that Putting those two terms together, radical and tradition or radical and orthodoxy, there was a movement decades ago out of Anglicanism that was the radical orthodoxy, right? Oh. So yeah, putting those together is interesting, yeah. right? And it's and it's per it's intentional. Yeah. Um, but yeah, who's rad enough to be trad is a huge topic on trad Twitter, right? Um, how 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 trad do you have to be to be rad? Some people don't want to be known as rad. They're like, I'm trad, but I'm not one of them, right? However construed. Um so mm. The, again, the identity being really formed in the online discourse uh, over and over every day, all the, you know, who's, yeah. who's rad enough to be trad, for sure. Okay, that makes sense because I've been seeing this rad trad trend on social media for a while now, so it's nice to know what's going on. But I'm still confused about why is it now? that women are starting to fail at mass. I never saw that growing up and like since I've stopped going to mass. So I don't know, am I missing something? Have there been changes within the Vatican that like changed some rules or like what else is going on? I think Lauren has a perfect explanation of that. Oh, okay. And we kind of like touched on it a little bit, but can you go a little bit more into how um, veiling is being connected to this hashtag and kind of this ideology we've circled around. Yeah, so the history of veiling and head covering is long and not linear or consistent. Um, so the simple answer is that before Vatican II, women had to cover their heads in mass. This is based on like 1 Corinthians 11, which some interpret to say women should cover their heads when praying. Mm -hmm. um, but the head covering requirement wasn't explicit until the 1917 Code of Canon Law. Um, of course, like head covering was common before that, both in and out of mass, yeah. but by no means, right, is it happening in all times and all places for the last 2000 years yeah. so the veil you know just a cursory look through paintings of mass from the middle ages to the 19th century show a variety of headwear both for men and women and lots of images in which women's heads are uncovered um in the middle ages the wimple was really popular for a while and then became only for nuns like as fashion changed um women started doing like elaborate braids and beading and other styles like the henan which is like that long cone headdress which i really liked when i was a kid to dress up like princess um but these were changes in fashion 
an outside of mass, right? So in fact, the lace mantilla that's popular now, right? This resurgence of veiling is very specifically a mostly white, but now different colors, lace mantilla that came about in like 16th, 17th century Spain and in the Americas, right? Latin America where Spain colonized. Um, but by the 19th century, mantillas were like mostly just for Holy Week. So the week before Easter and at bullfights. Yeah. So if you look at photos of Catholic mass in the U.S. in like the 20th century before Vatican II from like the 1910s to the 1960s, you'll see like very few veils until the 60s. It was hats, right? You'll see flapper mm. hats in the 20s and like little crescent or circle hats, pillbox hats, like little flower trimmed like headpieces or small hats from the fifties. So, yeah. and like people wore hats. Think of like any archival photo you've seen of this like time period, like men and women, like when they're out, you just wore hats. So women just sort of kept them on in church while men removed them. Um, I have a totally unsubstantiated theory that Jackie O like Jacqueline Kennedy mm -hmm. Onassis yeah. single-handedly brought back the lace mantilla <sighs> in the early sixties. Wait, Yeah. yeah. There are photos of her and, of course, like, it, you know, icon, whatever. So in the 60s, you'll see lace mantillas in photos of masks, but still fairly few. Women still wore hats and girls would wear what's called a chapel veil, which is like a mm. little silk or lace, like, doily <laughs> that they would just sort of set yeah. on top of their heads, mostly no, for communion. Mm -hmm. Um, but by the late 60s, women are already not covered at all. Um, and, and then as Vatican II started, like, you know, co becoming in effect uh, head covering and fashion in general, people weren't wearing hats as much. So we see less head covering. But it was never, like, illegal to wear a veil or cover your head in mass. So what it sounds like is that um, veiling at mass is something people have done for lots of years on and off. Um, but especially with the example of the early 1900s in America, especially with just like these little hats, the cute ones, and they definitely are fitting the fashion at the time that veiling at mass is less of a quote unquote religious requirement and more of a social um, phenomenon that's happening in this Thing that's being grouped and created and it's not just this oh the pope said i had to do it oh vatican said i had to do it right it's more of these social performativity versus something that we could maybe see in the doctrine of like women right. have to have head coverings it's not we don't quite see that we're seeing it more in this social context that's right. changing over years and changing through the generations yeah so the the idea that this has quote always been a part of catholic traditional culture right as if it's a stable ahistorical thing right so we've got those origin narratives going on especially that appeal to mary wanting to veil as she did look as she did um but one thing in common for a lot of these explanations of veiling right is that they debate what it quote means right whether it's modesty humility empowerment right on some mm -hmm. So what it means, again, assuming that it's a stable thing that communicates something in and of itself. And as you're pointing out, right, we can ask as scholars interested in how culture works, what social purposes is it serving? Right. Mm -hmm. How is it being used by people in this very historical moment? Yeah. And I think that's awesome. And I agree. There's it's impossible to take these examples we've brought um, of the TikToks of different people posting on Twitter and taking them out of time, right? There's yeah. one, just the fact that it's being posted on social media places it in a very specific time in human history that yeah. can't be, can't be ignored, right? Speaking of these examples and thinking of um, TikTok and Twitter, as we talked about earlier, are those examples, do you think there's something special about social media that's kind of created this revealing trend? Or do you think 
there's a larger or different explanation for the revealing trend kind of popping up pretty recently? Yeah, that's a really great and complex question. The short answer is yes. I think that digital media is like the determinative factor here. Um, but of course, <laughs> media isn't something that's apart from us, right? Or, yeah. or from culture, right? So I think... Um, that like just a cursory glance right into the history of head covering shows a, a diversity of practices that was embedded in local cultures and fashions where it was common to cover one's heads all the time, like not just in mass. Um, but the discourse that it's like always been there or, uh, you know, uh, is, is just a, such a great example of how we imagine tradition and then mediatizing it <laughs> makes it exactly it tears down those physical barriers yeah. we used to have so like if you didn't know that veiling was a thing like uh, before social media like women have been veiling right we yeah. just didn't see it performed and now there's all these ways to sort of create new affinities and draw new boundaries that yeah. we're all seeing so yeah the fact that it's been mediatized is is determinative so veiling in 2022, right, is performing very different social work than it did, say, in 17th century Spain or 14th century England. Even in 2022, the veil does different work depending on who's using it. For some, it's, you know, creating an embattled tradition, right, that like um, we got to preserve tradition in the face of modernity. Um I read the popularity of veiling or perhaps the growing discourse on veiling in light of uh, growing contemporary challenge to normative ideas about gender and heteronormativity. As the last podcast episode you all discussed, I remember, um, we have like super popular queer icons like Lil Nas X and Janelle Monet, and people play with gender performance like like Harry Styles. And um, it's common now, right, to talk about like about gender identity and fluidity. Like these are very mainstream conversations. And, and then we see the reactions to that, right? Reactions reactions to LGBTQ folks in general being normalized, um, reaction to bills like the don't say gay bill. Um, so I read some of the veiling discourse, not all, but some of the veiling discourse as very much in, in that conversation. Right. Um, but I mean, to go even broader in the, in the creation of tradition, we see statements like, this is a quote from a, a tweet I read quote, I veil because the 2000 years of the ch of church history are more important than the last 50 years since Vatican II. So right in that construction, we see Vatican II as an event, right? That broke a previously unbroken line, right? Um, so we've got a lot going on there, right? The, the idea of that narrativizing Vatican II as an event, a uh, crisis, right? Um, manufacturing veiling as part of that, of that past. Um, but every now and then there are like little interesting sort of, um, uh, explanations of relationships with tradition. I came across another comment under Caitlin's veil post that said, um, you know, as a married woman, you should really wear black now. White is for virgins. And someone else replied, oh, you don't have to follow that strict old rule. You can wear whatever colors you want, even fun colors now. <laughs> so on one hand, we've got unbroken tradition of veiling yeah. and you have to do it. But also you do you, girl, make it your own. And I think that's like a really nice example of how like bring the idea that idea of like it's not bringing back the 60s or the 1560s or the 1360s yeah. or whatever right um th this whole conversation is built on modern ideas about choice and the individual right these are this is a product of modernity um 
So, and, and looking too with the discourse reacting against the veil, which there isn't a ton of, but I found a few pieces. Um, it, it's interesting to ask how those are also reacting to veiling, right? Um, uh, uh, constructing themselves as modern and rational in the face of quote, you know, like backward, you know, oppressed, you know, so, so we're all sort of constructing ourselves in reaction to these ideas of like modernity and tradition and yeah, like how we construct ourselves as modern subjects or religious subjects and how are those sometimes put in opposition yeah i i think that's the interesting part too of like especially in america and uh, i grew up in the south and so it's a very protestant area not uh, there's catholic pockets right but not not too much from where i grew up and all my social media my friends were growing up i didn't see catholics doing catholic things right or whatever that means um but now i have this access to internet that is worldwide and people are posting every day and that's when we see these veilings and then it i think kind of almost spurs a trend like even saying revealing trend what does that mean that has to that has a social media or a media context in it already yeah right? and i mean and who knows if, if that's you know we're us using these terms is like creating the idea that it is being a trend right yeah. so like um I, there's no like sociological data on how many Catholic women veil. So it's hard to say if it's a trend that we're seeing on the ground or if it's a media trend, like mm -hmm. anecdotally, I've read pieces by priests who say they're noticing some women veiling for the first time, but not in like huge numbers. So it's hard to say how widespread the practice is or if it's actually growing or if we're just having to see it more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, is it actually the amount of people doing it is that big or what I'm seeing on Twitter used to be zero and now it's 20. Exactly. So now I think it's a trend because I've seen 20 women from across the globe putting a veil on before mass and taking a photo of it. Is that actually a trend that's happening or is it a trend because... Right. I used to see none of it. Well, and, and what's great about it is like we don't necessarily, or at least in our work, we don't necessarily have to answer the question, right? We can yeah. just be like, wow, look how this phenomenon is being formed in the discourse itself and the media images itself, right? In other words, like the more we talk about it, the, the more we construct, quote, girls who veil as a coherent bounded group with the same reasons and purposes that we can say, yeah. beware or behold, like whichever way. So yeah, that's what I find interesting. Okay, so veiling isn't new, but it's kind of new. It's like this resurgence of an old tradition, but the resurgence makes veiling its own unique modern act. And so those who participate have new reasonings and motives for doing this. So then that makes me interested in the internet and how this new idea of radical traditionalism and veiling at mass is reaching a larger audience than ever. So do you think that means congregations in a way are now not just your local church, but also your followers? I had the same question and I think Lauren has an interesting explanation. Like is religiosity now larger than just your congregation does it now connect to a whole ecosystem of a religious internet or a religious side of the internet yeah i mean 
so digital media is interesting, right? In that these like peer-to-peer digital networks have now usurped like broadcast media. So like, for example, when I ask my students like what they're watching, the most common answer is that, oh, I just scroll TikTok or I watch YouTube. Like they'll say them like most often it's podcasts on YouTube. So um, of course it's, it's not passive, right? We get instant feedback, instant conversation around the thing that we're posting. So communities of practice, like you said, can develop fairly quickly apart from from the physical space, right? Um, and a what we might call fringe practice of veiling at Catholic Mass, right? Um, which in the past one may have never seen, even if you're Catholic your whole life, is now all over the place. So those physical barriers of the pre-digital world are, are gone. And um, these groups, even if quite small, right? Once assembled online are like super robust, <laughs> even in the face of like larger mainstream, quote mainstream or majority, you know, groups. So um, yeah. <laughs> So I know that recently in the U.S. we've seen a lot of news around the increase in religious traditionalism, but is RadTrad specific to America or are there other places where we see this idea as well? I think it's easier for us to see RadTrad in America social media because that's what we interact with the most. But Lauren kind of told me that that's not the whole picture. What I, I think this is an important question to kind of think about as scholars, um, and I know we live in the United States, right? So most of our in, our knowledge of internet is going to be from um, a very American point of view. But this trend of hashtag ratchet or veiling, right? If it we can even call it a trend, right? What part of the world are we seeing this become popular in, and do you think that's an important conversation to tackle into this? So yeah, um, RadTrad, the hashtag I've seen when I've like, um, mined Twitter for it, I see it in, um, always in that construction, RadTrad, like that English, I mean, those words are, are from other languages as well, but that RadTrad version in, uh, tweets in Tagalog, in German, mm. in Portuguese. I have a paper coming out about Brazilian uses of this. Um, wow. so it's definitely, a, th- a thing that is popular in multiple locations, right? Yeah. Um, I don't want to call it global, right? Because I think that the yeah. goal of highlighting the varieties of, of Catholic traditionalists around the world is to analyze on a global scale the ways in which they actually challenge an idea of globalism, right? So, like... Um, you know, these, they're formed in conversation with each other to be sure. And, and, and new media makes that possible, right? That they make identities possible that weren't possible before. So it's, so veiling and traditionalism is certainly global in that it appears in a lot of places, but there's no unified global Catholic trad. Right. Um, and of course, like as the entertainment, like media center, the U S still drives a lot of like internet and meme culture, but but it really, as, as specifically like discussion of gender roles and veiling shows, it really is like a layered story of exchange and circulation. Mm. Like it's not just one country or one place or one tradition, one religion acting yeah. on people, right? It's like people using different tools in the cultural toolbox that, that involve local stuff, but also um, internet culture that sort of defies physical boundaries. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so this is all really cool, and I love how Lauren has 
intertwine the internet and her research on religious ideas. So I wonder if more scholars should be using the internet in their work. Yeah, and I hope scholars do start using more internet and social media data in their work. And I think Dr. Griffin would agree with us. As a scholar or just someone who's interested in this topic, why do you think it why do you think we should care about revealing? Um maybe like isn't it a good thing people are uh reinserting themselves into their faith or does it say something else um yeah why should i why should we care about this yeah i think the 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 reason this is cool right apart from any sort of interests one may already have in it right is because it's just such a great example of how we imagine tradition Mm -hmm. and think of things as stable ahistorical apart from social reality yeah right i mean so like you like we said sort of earlier um you know all discourses about making something great again or going back to an imagined time, whether that be 1950 or 1350 in the case of some of the trads, right? Wherever we're imagining that pure place to be is doing real social work in 2022, right? Yeah. And that's this is such a great little tight example of how media, digital media is involved, internet culture, discourses on origins, discourses on the past, n- mobilizing ideas of tradition, it's such a great example of so many little little things yeah yeah because i think when you first see rad trader you first see someone veiling i think you can because the internet is such part of our everyday life it's so integrated in everything we see i think when you first see it you can be like ah well that's just another person being religious it's just another person deciding to wear something on their head uh but when you take a step back and kind of be like okay what's going on here what are all the parts that have led to this? Cause it didn't just come out of nowhere. I think we've said that a few times. It's not that this veiling has just popped up. Some one person didn't just decide one day to start veiling. There's lots of layers to this. And I mm-hmm. think that adding the internet as one of those layers just is really interesting and cool in our like modern age yeah. of scholarly work or just being interested in stuff. Yeah, and I think what like people at UA in the religion and culture MA can offer in particular, right? What what I've been noticing is that people really want to talk about specifically like right wing Christianity, Christian nationalism. These are big conversations in the field right now. And and I've seen people write like people have written pieces in the New York Times and The Guardian addressing um traditionalism and veiling and tradwives, things like that. Um and, and it's all interesting. It's all great. But like this flurry of work, I, I, I just feel like no people write about lots of things like being nostalgic or being anti-feminist, being alt-right connected. But no one seems to question the notion that they are traditional, right? No one's unpacking mm. these ideas about mobilizing tradition in this way, right? Which I mm-hmm. think is really important. Um, and something that people like us could add to the conversation. So how do you use social media in your work other than just looking on Twitter? Is there like, I don't know. I just want to know, like, how are you using social media to further your scholastic endeavors? endeavors? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um, yeah. So I've done a couple different things um, with the help of Professor Waringa. I've been thinking about um 
computational text analysis and um, getting lots of tweets, right? So pulling big data. So I've done, I've been using Python not only to mine the tweets, but also to see trends, right? And relationships. Yep. So there's one way to do it, one method to approach. I also have been really interested in theorizing technology, theories of technology and discourses of technology. So um, how people like think and talk about social media algorithms um, and, and how they, I, I, that's why I like TikTok so much because people imagine the algorithm so much. There's a lot of discourse yeah. about like my algorithm's off today or like, y yes, why, yeah. why is it's this on my FYP? It's like an entity. <laughs> yes. And people will react like their identity. They like, there's all this talk on TikTok about how they, people have questioned their like sexuality and identity because they're like, TikTok thinks I'm whatever. Right. Or TikTok yeah. thinks I'm an ex Mormon or TikTok thinks I'm, or, you know, a, a, a part of the lesbian community or that I'm interested in farming or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, so all of these trends, like right communities, I've done a really good job on TikTok. So there's all this talk. So I'm really interested in theorizing that, right? Yeah. Like the idea of it. So not only just the talk on it, the content of it, but like how people are thinking about thinking, right? Mm -hmm. Think about what they're doing um, and how that is also like goes into identity. I think should scholars start studying and analyzing how religion or tradition or culture all with air quotes are expressed on social media um how are these different aspects that have just been there's so many books right so many books about these topics but now uh we're moving to the internet age so should scholars be looking at these topics and how they're being expressed on the social on social media and if so if you think yes why yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, so, yeah, of course, we we I mean that's how that it's media, right? So any any the fact that you know we've written books about the printing press and how that's affected, or the transition from you know um, scroll to codex and how that impacted. So, um, I think the more interesting question is not whether we should, because obviously, right? That's where yeah. that's you know where life is happening, We're and that's how it. ideas are being mediated. But I think that it th this shift in media and technology, uh, this you know over just the last few decades, is so fast and it's so hard. Because uh, we're still writing about how the printing press impacted <laughs> modernity and and what and quote unquote religion or whatever nationalism or whatever, and it's so fast and it's so um, it requires knowledge yeah knowledge of the technology or whatever. It's I think that what the exciting part is that it's making us rethink our theory right our approach mm. to how we're even talking about this right. So we had this idea we're reevaluating older ideas about media theory like you know the medium is the message or or a reception theory or whatever like these uh, these more clear cut like well how did people receive the message how did people produce and control the message well now it's like a big old mess <laughs> and so there's a, we have to rethink how we're approaching the study of it altogether which is exciting and frustrating and interesting <laughs> so yeah. No, that makes so much sense it, it, because what we had the printing press for hundreds, well, hold on, that sounded dumb. I don't know how long we had the printing press for, but we had it for hundreds. years. Yeah. Okay. Hundreds of years before something new was invented to kind of make it better. But we see on, on Instagram and on uh, Instagram, but we see on social media that the news cycle is 24 hours. Yeah. Like that's a very common thing that 24 hours is the news cycle on social media. So we're going through stuff, like you said, at an exponential rate. Yeah. Um, not just technology, but just ideas as well. 
Um, so much content. So, so much content. That a little was bit of everything. Never. All the yeah. <laughs> that was never available until a few years ago. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's, I agree. It's, it's really making us rethink all of these long standing um, ideas of what we had, right? Because you had time to sit and think and mull over and read 700 books, right? But now I don't have time to read all of the tweets and hashtag yeah. rad trad. There's quite literally not enough time. And in, but and if you caught up, even if you did, there'd be more. There'd be more. There'd yeah, be more there's, it's yeah. more and more and more is coming. Yeah. yeah. So after hearing all of that, what do you think is the point? Why should someone care about this internet thing called hashtag rad trad? And why should I care that Caitlin Bennett is wearing a veil while she goes to mass? Right. What what do you, did you take away from this interview with Dr. Lauren? Oh, this interview with Dr. Griffin. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think that the important thing from having this conversation that I think I've learned is we now kind of live in a time where we have different avenues for creating our own identities and sharing those identities with other people. So especially with social media, you know, the hashtag rad trad wouldn't have existed 20 years ago when we didn't have Twitter and we didn't have Instagram and we didn't have all these different forms of social media. And so I think the question then becomes, and like, how are these different trends? How are they individual acts of performativity, but within larger structural areas? So like when I first saw the rad trad trend, I was like, oh, must be something going on in the Catholic church, you know, the structure, the hierarchy. I hadn't even like considered that these were individual choices that were people were making based on their own interpretations of their religiosity. So I think it come one of the questions that we can ask and one of the things we can think about is how is social media changing the way that we create our identities and then reaffirm those identities to those around us? Yeah, I think that's perfectly said. I also want to add, I think, secondly, this is a great case study of nothing is really from the past. Obviously, things are from the past. But when the veiling trend has reappeared specifically, it isn't a direct copy from the past veils of the Catholic Church. It's um, taking bits and pieces from a shared history and making something new, which is really awesome. And I just think it's something to think about and uh, something we talked about a little bit with Dr. Griffin. I think it's something really cool that we're able to link our past with our present and also realizing that maybe the past isn't as stagnant as we think it is. But it's been really awesome talking to you today, Sierra. Thank you for bringing me these awesome examples. Yes, thank you so much for having me on, Erica, and answering my questions and having Dr. Griffin on as well to kind of explain further the questions that I did have about this trend. Balcony Talks is an American Examples production in the Department of Religious Studies at the University of Alabama with funding from Henry Luce Foundation. This episode was produced by Erica Bennett. Special thanks to Dr. Lauren Griffin and Sierra Eichhorst. 
follow the Department of Religious Studies on Twitter and Instagram at the handle at Study Religion or on Facebook at facebook.com slash rel at ua. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and review. 